0: Would you turn with me to Psalm 126 again, where we had been speaking about last week? This is, as I said, a song of degrees. It's attributed to David. And uh, it's one of those psalms in which we find a few verses that are very familiar to us especially when we get down around the 5th and 6th and 7th verses of the Psalm, uh, or 5th and 6th, I shouldn't say 7th, the 5th and 6th verses of the Psalm, having to do with those that sow in tears shall reap with joy. Uh, Let me read there just six verses. When the Lord turned to gain the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. As I said, uh, I think uh, if we could say one thing about uh, this psalm, of course, it's talking about the captivity of Israel and uh, their deliverance from that captivity. Now, all Israel wasn't happy about it. Many of them stayed in Babylon, you see, they were enamored of the, the luxury and the uh, wonderful times and good money. Uh, Babylon had many Jews that remained after the captivity. Uh, we could say that about the Jews today. They'll not go back willingly to Palestine. They're enamored of the United States greatly. They're enamored because their coffers are full. It will have to be a work of God to get all Israel back into the land. I don't want to get into the prophetic side tonight, but in the case of Israel in Babylon and in their captivities, Babylon being one of the great ones, they had no desire really too much to get back. Many went, but many stayed behind. Uh, but we would have to say that uh, those who were delivered, as it says here, it was like a dream to them that this great change, it's, it's, it's much like that in salvation, of course. If you've come to Christ, uh, it's as I said last week, it's like uh, walking on the clouds. I, if a man doesn't experience this or a woman when they come to Christ, of course, I came out of a radical... Uh, I have to be careful I don't call myself a rebeller. I came out of a a radical change in my life, out of Romanism to Christ. And I think here that uh, this tremendous change in my life was so uh, obvious to me and so great in my heart that I know what it means to feel like you're walking on the clouds. Now whether that would be true of all of you i do not know some would say to me well i came up in a christian home and i found christ in my through my mother or through my father and pastor i never know whether i really had that kind of an experience that you've had and i i have to say that this kind of an experience is something that uh, i have been most appreciative of for the radical change in my life was so great from the darkness into the marvelous light of jesus christ that the only yearning I had in my heart after I found Christ as my Savior was to proclaim the Word of God, was to study the Word of God, was to learn the Word of God, was to feast upon the Word of God, so that night and day I would have to say, whether it was in my business or wherever I was, whether it was lunchtime I spent in the Word of God, whether I had a 15-minute break, we didn't call them breaks in those days. They weren't called coffee breaks. You just took a relief and that's it. And I would just use the word of God. But this was the, the, the thing that happened with me. So I understand Israel's position here. They said it was like a dream to us and our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. And as I said last week, what, what does laughter and singing do for a home? Oh, the laughing heart <laughs> and the singing heart. Many of you here tonight, or when you hear singing around the house, it's great to hear someone singing. Laughter is so wonderful, isn't it? Just to have it bubble up. To have someone you love laughing, there's nothing more wonderful. Changes the whole demeanor of the face, doesn't it? I love to see people You know, a lot of people who are great laughers get crow's feet, they say, you know, around the eyes here. And I often think if that's a part of that life, you know, where you've had such joy in your heart that you've really bubbled over, even though your trials have been great, and even though there's been many, many times that the heart was burdened. Oh, that that laughter, mouth filled with laughter, the heart uh, with singing, the tongue with singing. And how blessed that, and how wonderful it is. And then, of course, the Lord did great things for them, the heathen said. And then they caught on, imagine, and they said, yes, the Lord did do great things for us. It's a terrible thing to say. At first, the heathen noticed it, and then the Israelites agreed it's true. Now, on the fifth verse, we're up to, or the fourth verse. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. And uh, here they've talked about this first deliverance and how their mouths were filled with laughter, how their tongues were filled with singing, and they were like men in a dream. were so wonderful. And they're looking back at that, looking back at that great joy they had and how it bubbled up. Oh, listen, beloved, let's never get away from the joy of the Lord. Huh? Let's never get away from the joy of the Lord. How precious this is. Of course, there can be no joy where there's sin. Remember David, when he confesses his sin, after he confesses his sin, he says, Now, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. So the joy will bubble in my heart again. And he says, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation, and then will I witness to sinners that they may be saved. Psalm 51, you see. Wonderful. We can't have joy unless our hearts are freed from sin and unless there's victory in your life. The person who has no Christian victory has no Christian joy. You can't have joy without victory. So there must be that victory in our Christian lives moment by moment. And here Israel says, Lord, do it for us again, will you? Turn it again. Deliver us again, O Lord. From our inertia. Why, when we were in Babylon, when we were in captivity, we were as nothing. We got ourselves involved in all of the commerce. We're Jews, successful businessmen. We're the merchants of the earth. And we were so content within this atmosphere. Oh, there were some persecutions, but like every other place where the Jews have gone and nations have persecuted them, they rise above the persecutions. It's a tremendous nation. They rise above the persecutions and they become famous as the merchants of the earth. The Lord had said in his word, ye shall be the merchants of the earth and ye shall control the money bags of the earth. He had told them this. And so they said, Lord, do this for us again. We had such joy when you delivered us from that kind of thing. Now, you wouldn't think this was the Jewish mind at work. Ordinarily, the Jewish mind would have said, now, Lord, we're not as prosperous as we were before. We're not making the money we were before. Now, do something new for us and get us back into the place where we'll be able to garner in all those things into our coffers that we consider to be prosperity. For after all, Lord, you remember that Abraham was a very rich man, and Abraham is our father, and we believe the sign of blessing to the Jew is that he might be rich. But the Jewish heart here is not that way. The Jewish heart here is saying, Lord, would you do for us again what you did when you delivered us? Change it. Take us out of our inertia. Take us out of our sad condition that we're in. Do it again for us. Our laughter is dried up. Our singing has gone. There's no melody in our hearts anymore. We've lost it beloved, why does the Christian lose the melody in their heart? Because they're not constantly faithful to Jesus. Anyone who is constantly faithful to Christ, no matter how deep the trials are, and I say even unto the death of a beloved mate, or even unto the death of children, or even unto the death of a mother or father, even in all of this, The child of God that is faithful to Jesus Christ will not be dried up. Their mouth will not be filled with sorrow. Their mouth will yet be filled with a heart that is joyous within. Oh, the laughter may cease for a while, but that heart is solid and strong, and there is singing on the tongue. But the melody may be in the heart then, making melody in our hearts. There are times when if the world were to see our hearts, it would be difficult for them, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be difficult for them to see this melody in my heart? How would the world ever have understood me if when my son died, they had been able to see the melody in my heart? Could I have sung it so it might be heard, they would say, Fool, he has no respect for the dead. You've heard this. Yet was there melody in my heart. I went home with my son in a coffin. And I slept on, I remember so well, put my head on that pillow and would say to Jesus, O Lord, how I love thee, underneath of the everlasting arm. Thou hast given to me a melody in my heart which sorrow and burdens can never touch, for thou hast guaranteed me in thy precious word that I shall see him again. And I had stood to lose him completely, but now I've gained him completely. Who would have understood? Would the world understand this? Never will the world understand the Christian. The world cannot understand the Christian. For the carnal mind can never see the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. I might have been able to say to a brother or a sister in Jesus Christ, Isn't it precious how the Lord has comforted me? One of the dear children of the Lord came to me tonight and said, though I've lost a loved one just within the last few weeks, it's just been marvelous what the Lord has done for me. You see, this is what the Lord does. And so here is Israel saying, Lord, will you do it for us again? You know, I really hope none of you are in that position tonight. I really do. Where you're looking back to a a, a former relationship you had to God where your mouth was really filled with laughter and your heart was filled with singing. And I hope your loved ones were conscious of it. May I say that? I hope the children have mothers like this and wives have husbands and husbands' wives. Boy, we need some melody in our hearts. We're living in a tragic enough world without within our own little confines of this glorious citizenship we have with Jesus Christ in heavenly places of spreading it abroad and really doing what God has said, let the love of Christ be shed abroad in your hearts. And how precious this is. I would hope that uh, no one here tonight would not have this glorious experience of being of being able to say it's a present thing I'm, i don 't have to look back. Are you looking back, beloved? Are you always having to go backward and say oh i i i hope i don't get to that point you know where I got a cane and, and you walk along and say, "Oh, I wish it was twenty years ago and I was happy. just don 't want it to be that way i I'm so glad that I meet people. 80, 85, and 90 years old that I say are still dynamic. They still have that vibrant faith and Holy Spirit power within their breasts. And if this is possible when they get that old, some of us should be very careful that we don't say we're getting too old to do these things. I don't find that any of the apostles of the Lord did their great work until they were at least 60 to 80 years of age. So I'm just in the prime of life. Someone said life begins at 40. I don't believe it. Life begins when you're saved. That's when it begins. And that's when a radiance comes in. When you're saved, that's when life begins. You were dead, right, in trespasses and sins until Christ came in, and then life begins. And so the Israelites wanted this whole thing to be done over again. They were saying, we're the same as when we were in captivity, we're like unsaved people, we Israelites. We'd like you to do that thing over again, Lord. We, we remember how our mouths were filled with laughter and our, uh, our tongues were filled with singing. And we want that experience. And isn't it true? Listen, if there's a Christian here tonight that says there's anything more joyous than a joyous Christian, then I don't know whether you're a Christian because there's nothing more joyous than a joyous Christian. You can't have the joy of the Lord unless you have the Lord. And so if there's to be joy in the heart, and whether we're young or old, what difference? We want something real, substantial that we can hold on to. A joy that's rich and sinks into the breast and is expressed. And people are used to seeing us with a happy demeanor of life. We're encouraging. We're optimistic. Boy, I'm optimistic. The world's fallen apart. But I'm optimistic. The Lord is coming. Well, is this your optimism? It should be. The Lord is coming. So all of our pessimism, which is darkness in the world, and I tell you, as you read the newspapers and you read the magazines and you read all of the forecasts, they're very, very dire. You know, I I get gifts of all kinds of magazines. They send me the Newsweek and the U.S. News and World Reports and all the different magazines, you know. Well, I brush through them. I want to know what's going on in the world. So I spend time just going through. And I tell you, when I read, I don't know how much you men read, but when I read about what's uh, In the future, for this nation, I shudder. I shudder. But I'm so thankful that we don't have to look back that way. You notice what he says here. He says, turn again our captivity, O Lord. Do it again for us. As the streams in the south. Notice he uses the south. He picks the drought country. And he said, let us be as the streams in the south. They're never frozen. They're never frozen. They're never cold. He says, Lord, restore to us. Take us back. Do again that thing for us and make it as the streams of the south. Never frozen, but warm and full-hearted. Make us this kind of a people again, warm tender and compassionate and loving. Lord, do it for us again like the streams of the south. They never freeze up. You remember how Jesus speaks of this in Revelation when he says, you've left your first love. You've grown cold. Ephesus, to one of the other churches. He says, because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I would that you were cold or hot, one or the other, so at least it would be clear cut. And here the Israelites say, now listen, Lord, you've got to do something for us. We want that same joy before. We want to be, have our mouths filled with laughter and have our tongues filled with singing. Will you do it for us again, Lord, and make us as the streams of the south, never frozen up, Oh, how terrible it is, isn't it, when people get frozen up. What the coldness has done to the church of Jesus Christ. Cold hearts. Oh, the treachery and the terribleness that comes upon a church when there are cold, calculating people. Oh, how terrible. May I say this, it's cost the Lord a lot. The coldness of the church. You remember when he gets down to the church of Laodicea in Revelation, the third chapter, he speaks about their terrible coldness. All they're interested in is the dollar. The church at Laodicea means the rule of the people. The people do what they want. Not the rule of governments, the rule of the people. Every man does as he thinks is right in his own heart. And the church is cold. He says, whereas ye should be this, and ye should be this, and should be this. You're blind and naked. You're anything but what you should be as a church. And oh, how that coldness has hurt the Lord. What he longs for most from you and from me is love. What do you long for most? Let me ask you that. What do you long for most? May I ask you that? I don't care whether you're young or old the most thing that you long for that is love i don't know of any husband and wife that longs for dollars you long for love and this is the thing our lord jesus christ is longing for our love and here israel says we don't want to be like frozen waters make us like those southern streams of the south that flow continually warmth, and it's costly love that our Lord wanted more than anything from His church. That love which would be warm-hearted and human, but it would be that which came from the Holy Spirit. And so God is longing for that kind of love from your heart and from my heart. The coldness of the church has cost Christ a great deal. It has, in a very real sense, the coldness of the church has caused the coming of the Lord sooner than he ever would have come. Oh, in the counsels of God, he knew our coldness would be there. He prophesied of our coldness. But that doesn't mean that you or I should have a cold attitude toward Christ. If the church had been warm-hearted and filled with the power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord would have come long ago and the body would have been complete. But the Lord, looking down through the All of the channels of history in his great foreknowledge saw the coldness of the church so that when he speaks to the church in the book of Revelation, time after time, he has to say, I have somewhat against thee. I have somewhat against thee because thou hast done this or thou hast done that. Thou hast failed to do this. Thou hast failed to do that. And, beloved, if the church had had the fire of God in their hearts, individual hearts, the Lord would have been back long ago. His body would have been complete despite his foreknowledge of all of our wickedness and our coldness and knowing the day of the hour that day or hour would have been placed ahead a long time if it weren't for the coldness of the professing church of jesus christ and its inactivity and its lack of compassion One man, Billy Graham, wins hundreds and thousands to Jesus Christ, while 95 to 97% of the church of Jesus Christ hasn't won one single soul to Jesus Christ. As I understand it, the body of Christ is waiting for completion. Only the Lord knows the day of the hour. But that day or hour was placed there because the Lord took into consideration the whole history of the professing church which he laid down in the book of Revelation. And time after time, he says, you failed, you failed, you failed, you failed. I would have been back much sooner. But because I foreknew it all, I know the day of the hour. It's not exactly where it could have been Had the church been on fire for Jesus Christ? Oh, beloved, let me say this. I hope and I pray. You know, I often say this. I hope and I pray that because of something I've preached that the Lord foreknew Christ, that date which has been appointed from eternity past might have been drawn a few days closer. Every preacher has that place. I'm sure that Billy Graham, was seen in the councils of eternity past and saw that Billy Graham would win maybe 500,000 souls or a million souls to Jesus Christ. God knows when the body will be complete by all of his foreknowledge so that Billy Graham has a place in the day appointed of God when Christ shall return. And so I pray that as I preach, it might be that in the counsels of God from eternity past, they knew some message would be brought by Billy Graham, by Pastor Guillen, by some pastor throughout the world, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pastors preaching the gospel. And the coming of Christ is dependent upon the completion of the body. When the fullness of the Gentiles is come in, then that which will come to pass will come to pass concerning Jacob's trouble. And the fullness of the Gentiles has been dependent all down through history upon preachers and people who bear their testimony for Jesus Christ. Souls don't come to Jesus and be put into the body of Christ by some ethereal nothing that's floating around the universe. The only reason they get into the body of Christ that must be completed is because you and you and you and you have talked to somebody and they've been put into the body of Christ. And Jesus saw that way back in eternity before He made the earth and the world and taking it all into consideration and looking at 97% who'd never win a soul. He said, that's the day. And it could have been a millennial sooner except for the inertia and the coldness and the lack of witnessing power of the church of Jesus Christ. Simple logic. If God knows everything, He has to consider you in your capacity to present the gospel of Christ to someone else as to the completion of his body. And so Israel wants that activity again, wants that joy again. Make us like the streams in the south, flowing, overflowing, And oh, may the Lord do that with you. Make you warm-hearted. Give you the joy of the Lord. Our coldness has left many of our families foundering. Jesus Christ has yearned for but one thing from you. He has a lot to say to Ephesus about their good works. He says, you've done this and this and this and this. Everything is fine, but I have this against you. You left your first love. And I believe that many a family has been foundering because they have left their first love for Jesus, that passionate love that they had for him as the great bridegroom, and they the bride... And there was a cold bride instead of a bride that really loved. And I can't think of anything more sickening in my experience than for a bridegroom to think of a cold, indifferent calculating bride that's more interested in making money, more interested in the grass, more interested in the lawn, more interested in the house, more interested in clothing, more interested in business, more interested in the world, more interested in everything, but not in love with Jesus. And this is the kind of a world we're living in. And everyone must judge themselves. What should your judgment be at the judgment seat of Christ? The whole tenor of Revelation 2 and 3 is to let you know what Jesus will judge you for. He tells you in Revelation 2 and 3 exactly what his judgments were upon seven churches, which encompassed the whole of the history of the church. And you can take that and read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and you'll know the whole judgment of the church. Turn again our captivity, Lord. Make it as the streams of the south. Listen, may God give you warm hearts. eh? Reactivate that love, all right, for Jesus first. And then activate that love for each other. Hmm? This is the key. Activate that love between you as a husband and wife. Activate that love, son or daughter, toward your mother and father. Make it real. That's what God's calling us for. That's what God's yearning for us. The first judgment at the judgment seat of Christ, I would remind you, is your love for Jesus since God is love. And through Jesus, your love for your family, your love for your brethren, your love for a dying world. Number one judgment. Why? God is love. Make sure where that judgment stands in your life. And that before him, he'll say, Well done, thou good and." faithful servant of the Lord. You've loved me well. You've loved your brethren well. You loved the dying world well, and you were a witness of my saving grace to them. Enter into thy reward. Let us pray. Father, we do thank thee for thy blessed word tonight. Lord, there's so much more could be said. But, Lord, it's very simple spiritual reasoning that had the church been what you wanted it to be, long since the body of Christ would have been completed. We know that according to your foreknowledge, you know the day or the hour, but you had to take into consideration that over 90 to 95% of those born again would never bear a witness for you. Lord, it's hard to conceive out. When we say we love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, we can sing the song. And we never utter his name in our office, hardly to a loved one or to a friend. No wonder the young people look at us sometimes and wonder what it's all about. Now, Father, we pray tonight that we won't have to be like Israel of old that said, Lord, would you do it again for us? Would you get us back to where our mouths were filled with laughter and tongues filled with singing, Lord? Oh, God, do that for this people tonight. Give them a good witness for Jesus, for out of, this, out of this singing heart and out of this mouth filled with laughter, then the testimony rings. People are looking for happy Christians. So, Father, we pray that in us, whether we be young folks or older, they will find what they're looking for, which is Jesus Christ in us our hope of glory. Now, Lord, we believe that Jesus Christ is not a despairing one. He is not dismal nor abject in despair. But he says in his word, Receive ye my joy, that your joy might be full. God help us to understand when we're dismayed and despairing, We're far off from the things that Christ wants for us. He's looking to give us all the wonderful things. He has a treasury in heaven that he wants to give to believers. Now, Lord, I pray you'll pour it out like the streams of the south. There's always the flowing rivers. Remember that it tells us there is a river the streams of which make glad the city of God. Father, flow into hearts tonight with all thy love that Christ gives that it may be expressed through us. In Christ's name, amen.